Keith Major Show. All the people know, straight from Hawaii, we're all you need for sure. From news and local events, music and much more. With the Keith Major Show, we give you so much more. Good day, family, and welcome back to the Keith Major Show. Today we got something special, had some excitement in the news, and we're going to dive right into it um, with the goal being that I want each and every person that listens to this show to ultimately be smarter, to, that you can go out, and then when you hear crazy conversations, you'll be able to separate fact from fiction. So... Sure, you've been watching the news and you've seen that on Thursday, a U.S. drone strike that was ordered by President Trump on the Baghdad International Airport killed a top Iranian commander. And that commander's name was General Qasem Soleimani. Um, And this is a major underscore all vol caps underline escalation in regional tensions that now pits Tehran against Washington. We have been beefing with the Iranians for quite some time. You know, nothing major, pesky tit for tat, back and forth. But this, this was huge. This is a big deal. So let's talk about it. General Soleimani was the head of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, IRGC. um, And he was specifically the commander of the Quds Force. So real quick. The way we do it in in the U.S., we have the Pentagon, and then each one of the services, like, is divvied up in its own department. Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Army. In Iran, they have one force, which is the IRGC, and then that force has different divisions. The Quds Force happens to be one of the divisions of the IRGC. So we slice the pie one direction in the U.S. The Coos Force, they slice the pie 90 degrees and they slice it in the other direction. Just different ways to eat the same pie. So Coos Force, he was the commander. Um, The Trump administration viewed Soleimani as a ruthless killer because we have a tendency to view, you know, all Middle Eastern forces as killers and terrorists and thugs. Um, And the Pentagon on Thursday blamed him for hundreds of deaths of Americans and their allies and several attacks over the years and in recent months. And here is a statement from a Pentagon spokesman, and this is a quote. General Soleimani was actively developing plans to attack American diplomats and service members in Iraq and throughout the region. The Pentagon characterized the strike as, and again, this is a quote, and this is the soundbite you will hear, decisive defensive. Again, that was decisive defensive, right? It's not our fault we had to kill this guy. We just killed him, and it's their fault we had to kill him. Decisive defensive. So that's the approach from the Pentagon. Um, More specifically, earlier in the week, you saw there were some issues with the embassy in Baghdad being overrun, the Pentagon also blames General Soleimani and the Quds Force for an attack on December 27th that killed an American contractor and some Iraqi personnel. And then on 31 December, there was the attack on the U.S. embassy 
in Baghdad. So the Pentagon has said this guy, Soleimani, is responsible for all of that terrible guy. We got to go get him. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on Friday said that the strike thwarted an imminent, and that's in quotes, attack in the region. But he declined to give any details on the intelligence on what he based his statement. So Secretary of State is basically saying we had some information that says the Iranians and this guy, General Soleimani, were planning an attack and we knew the type of attack and the location and the time, but unfortunately due to sensitivities, I cannot share that information with you. That's what he says. Um, who are we to argue one way or another? But the interesting point to me is, for the past few years, the president has been complaining about the intelligence community and said it's absolute junk. Doesn't buy into intelligence Nobody in the intelligence community knows what they're talking about. And now, all of a sudden, in this change of, of, of fate, he now says the intelligence was accurate. We had all the information we needed. I ordered the strike. You tell me. I don't know. I guess when you're hot, you're hot. And when you're not, you're not. Tough working in the intel business. Um, the president, of course, when the strike happened, if you have not heard, was at Mar-a-Lago, um, White House South, I think, as he refers it, eating ice cream, and they told him about the attack, and then, I'm sure you've seen this, Trump sent out this cryptic tweet of nothing but a, an American flag. And then later he tweeted that Soleimani should have been taken out many years ago. Okay, naturally we know that is a dig. The many years ago part is a dig. President Barack Obama, who, according to Trump, never did anything right. So, what are we going to do, and how did we get here? So, let's talk about it. In order to understand where we are with Iran, we got to go back because there's a backstory, right, in everything. So let's let's go back a ways, and and let's and then we'll get caught up from yesteryear to how we got here today. So, in 1951, a guy named Mohammed Mossadegh became Prime Minister of Iran. And he was hugely popular for taking a stand against the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. Let me say that again. The Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. That was a British-owned oil company that made huge profits pumping Iranian oil and selling it on the open market. And get this. The British were only giving the Iranians 16% of the profit. That's it. 16%. So basically, the Brits were robbing the Iranians blind this guy Mossadegh says, no, no, we've had enough of that. We're going to nationalize the oil industry and we're going to sell our own oil and we're going to keep our own profit. Woo, that's heresy to the Brits, right? Because there's a lot of money at stake. 84% of the revenue is at stake. That's what they, so potentially in this one move, 
the Brits were going to go from 84% of the take to zero. Obviously, you can see they have some problems. They try to negotiate, try to talk Prime Minister Mossadegh off the ledge. He's dug in, not having it. You and the rest of you guys can get back on your boat and go back to the UK. The Brits are desperate and they seek out the U.S. for help. Hey, we're having this bit of a sticky situation in Iran with this guy, money on the table. We need you guys' help. The Americans cook up this plan. They put the CIA in charge of the plan to fix this, and the CIA say, no problem, we got it. The CIA basically concocts this plan where they're going to overthrow the prime minister. And the way they do it is they send a bunch of goons to Iran and mob style. They basically beat up a bunch of people and then tell the people they were sent by the prime minister. And so they turn the people against the prime minister and convince the people that the prime minister was some kind of thug. And so after beating up enough people and bribing enough people, they overthrow the prime minister. That's 1953. They overthrow Prime Minister Mossadegh. You can look this up. You can Google it. The name of the plot by the CIA was Operation Ajax. So Google Operation Ajax and you can read all about it. And as Americans like to do, you know, once we oust one regime and we put in another regime, we ensure that that ingoing regime is pro-U.S. and amenable to anything that we would like them to do. So we get rid of the prime minister and in comes the Shah. So they orchestrate this, this coup and this goes on for 10, 15 years. You know, with the Shah, the Brits are still robbing the Iranians blind, stealing them taking all their oil and then in 1979 the Iranians figure this all out they figure out that they've been had bamboozled hoodwinked run them up and they decide we've had enough and so there's a revolution in 1979 and the Iranian people say we want all of you guys Brits and Americans you ain't gotta go home but you gotta get the hell up out of here and they oust them. So they also oust the U.S. backed Shah of Iran. Um, at the time, that Shah's name was Mohammed Pavlevi. He's forced to leave the country and go into exile. There's all this mischief and mayhem and riots and all kinds of stuff in Iran. And then in comes the Ayatollah Khomeini. Remember that? You guys that are 80s babies, remember that name from Walter Cronkite being on the news. Ayatollah Khomeini was in exile because we got rid of him. But since the Iranian people got rid of the U.S., now the Ayatollah can come back and he comes back and he takes over. And they decide that we're going to have a republic free of U.S. and Brits. And they established the Islamic Republic of Iran on 1 April of 1979. Takes him a while to ramp this down. There's more mischief and mayhem. And what happens? They wind up storming the embassy in Tehran. That's 1979. You can Google this. Bunch of dudes spill over the wall. They're going crazy. A lot of excitement. And they seize the embassy in Tehran. 
in November 1979. They take the building, but unfortunately, they also wind up with hostages. 52 American hostages that were working at the embassy and they were held in captivity for 444 days. Jimmy Carter at this point is the president. He's on the phone all day, every day, trying to work a deal with the Iranians to free these hostages. But this is right up on the run up of the election, um, I think in 1980. And now you got Reagan as the Republican nominee and Reagan works a side deal with the Iranians. Hey, if you guys hold off, Reagan's fear was that if Carter had been able to work a deal to free the hostages, that would have given him so significant a bump in the polls that it would have been hard for Reagan to overcome that in the presidential election in November. So he works a side deal with the Iranians. Hey, you guys can release the hostages, but can you not, can you wait until after this November election thing is kind of important? So he works that deal, but he works it via a third party because, you know, you got to have plausible deniability because working side deals with other countries when you're not the president, that's kind of not the thing you want to do. It's against the law. So they work it through a third party. And Reagan says, I tell you what, we'll give you a bunch of weaponry and advanced munition in exchange for these hostages. And we'll give you some cash on top of it. And we'll work this deal through these guys I met that live down in Nicaragua. So there you go. That is the gist of the Iran-Contra scandal. And so there you see the nexus between Iran, Reagan, and the Contras, right? They're all like strange bedfellows in bed together, working side deals. So then in 88, there was kind of like a little quail in the in the uprisings and the tit for tat between us and Iran. Um, and then unfortunately, the USS Vincennes shoots down an Iranian airliner. That was 3 July 1988, killing all 290 people on board. Um, the U.S. says the Airbus A300 was mistaken for a fighter jet. Of course, the Iranians did not buy that story. So now that's like pouring hot rocket fuel on top of a fire. And this was during the time of, of the pilgrimage. So most of the passengers on that flight were pilgrims on their way to Mecca. Fast forward, we now have another Republican president. It's George Bush. He denounces Iran um, and calls them part of the axis of evil with Iraq and North Korea. Big speech, um, axis of evil. You just YouTube that and the speech will come up. And the Iranians are kind of upset because we kind of used to be friends and they don't really like the Iraqis. They had just fought like a 10 year war with the Iraqis. Everybody thinks the North Koreans are crazy. And the president of the United States went on TV and lumped the Iranians in with two groups that they think are lesser and lunatics. Kind of didn't sit well, right? They're looking at TV like, how did we get in that? 
So then you fast forward to the 2000s and then it all became about nuclear arms and building bombs and missiles. And so the Iranians decide, okay, we'll just take our money, invest in nuclear technology and uranium enrichment. And that freaks out the world and everybody hates it. I have no idea why the Iranians cannot have nuclear energy, but they ran this clandestine nuclear weapons program. And everybody got upset, the EU, the US, um, the UN, everybody, the Iranians didn't care. And then comes Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, remember him? That dude was a little further right of the Shah and the Ayatollah. Um, some people would say he was a nut job, but he was all about putting Iran on the map and he was the dude that did it. And he kind of ran this whole nuclear power, nuclear weapons thing. Fast forward, Ahmadinejad had his time in the seat as the leader of Iran. And then the next president was a guy named Hassan Rouhani that was considerably more moderate and more cerebral, relatively speaking, as far as Iranian leaders go. And he seems to get pretty chummy with this guy named Barack Obama. Obama calls him up one day. The first time Washington had called Tehran in over 30 years. And Barack Obama picks up the phone and says, Hey, bud, you know, you're scaring the crap out of the people with this clandestine nuclear weapons program you're running. Can we strike some kind of deal? Um, there's a flurry of diplomatic activity back and forth and in 2015 the Iranians agreed to a long-term nuclear deal the P5 plus one right all sounding more familiar now because we're talking recent history so the US the UK France China Russia and Germany sat on at the table and worked out this deal this nuclear deal with Iran Huge deal on the world stage in terms of foreign policy and diplomacy because, hell, nobody had even talked to the Iranians on the phone. And now within a 24-month period from the first phone call, now we got the first ever nuclear deal. But then comes Donald Trump. Donald Trump, for some reason, has this, I don't know, weird bromance with Barack Obama and he seems intent on undoing everything that Obama did like we're just going to scratch through that and then pretend he didn't exist in history seems crazy to me but that seems to be his plan so what does President Donald J. Trump do he abandons the nuclear deal that six nations sat down at a table and signed um, our allies are kind of pissed off about it because could you have run that past us since it was a, a mutual deal? Do you think we needed to know about that? Trump says not. It's America first. So, of course, relations between the U.S. and Iran have ever since that nuclear deal kind of been on this sliding downward trend back and forth, you know, back to the tit for tat. Um, and it's just been escalating. And then there was uh, explosions, I think, in 2019 with some oil tankers. We blame the Iranians. The Iranians said it wasn't them. 
and then the Iranians shot down a drone. Remember that? They shot down a drone. That was, uh, I think, last summer. You know, they said the drone was in their airspace spying on them. The U.S. says, nope, it was on clearly on this side of the line, flying along, minding its own business. The Iranians say hogwash. At the end of the day, they shoot down the drone. And now we done blowed up one of their senior most generals in somebody else's country. So here we are. All in the news. But let's talk about General Qasem Soleimani. Like, who is this guy? Like, what's the big deal about him? Well, I'm going to tell you. Soleimani was a major general in the IRGC um, up until his death on Thursday, and he was commander of the Quds Force. The Quds Force is the, the division of the IRGC that's primarily responsible for extraterritorial military and clandestine operations. Soleimani was the guy. He was that dude. He had the absolute confidence of the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. Like that was his guy. There was no doubt about it. The boss loved him. The people loved him. Right? Even adversaries said that he was a military genius. Like the dude was was that guy and recognized as that guy. Um, Soleimani is also the guy that kind of coalesced several different factions in the Middle East because, you know, they work through proxies. The Iranians don't necessarily like to get their hands dirty, so they will work through, like, this tribe, that tribe, or this country to get things done. Um, and they pretty much, the, the Quds Force and Soleimani were responsible for training and arming basically all of the Shiite Muslims in that part of the world, um, as well as Lebanon, Palestine, and Syria, and Yemen. So if you go back to the Syria pullout, there was all these different factions that were all connected some kind of way. You got the Syrians, you had the Turks, you had ISIS, um, you had the Kurds, and then off on the fringes, watching from the sideline, you had the Iranians that had an invest, uh, vested interest in these different groups. Well, all those trained Shia militias have now vowed revenge because we just blowed up their guy. And so they're all upset at the U.S. at the same time. Um, and they have vowed that they are going to exact their price. So, ironically, and here's the key part. This is the crazy part. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The Iranians, oddly enough, do not like ISIS. So they were fighting ISIS the same time that we were fighting ISIS, which is the same time the Kurds were fighting ISIS. But then we decided we weren't going to support the Kurds. So who's left to fight ISIS? Who knows? We'll find out because now the landscape as of Thursday has changed. So normally the biggity big guy in Iran is a religious cleric, um, some type of Muslim cleric. But Soleimani was the one non-religious guy that had national level 
prominence. He had he had a considerable amount of swag. And oddly enough, the U.S. had no idea who Soleimani was until up until 2003 in the invasion of Iraq. And then it was like, who is this guy that we keep seeing around? So somehow Soleimani had been under the U.S. radar for most of his career in the army. And then all of a sudden in 2003, when we go to Iraq, he pops up. So he was very popular. So, yes, they're very upset that he is now deceased. And the Coos Force, what is that? The Coos Force, again, is a division of the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. But it's considered one of the most powerful security agencies in the Middle East. And although they received a lot of mili uh, a lot of media attention, um, you hear about them all the time. Nobody really knows anything about them because they're that clandestine. Like nobody even really knows how many of them are there. Like the Coos Force. Like how big a group is that? We're not really sure. They kind of like shadowy dudes to kind of you know lurk around in the shadows. That's how they operate, and that's why they're able to do the things that they do. Um, the Coos Force is in charge of conducting covert diplomacy, providing training, arms, financial support to groups and organizations. They gather tactical intelligence um, and they facilitate some of Iran's provisions of humanitarian and economic support to Islamic causes. So, equating that to the U.S., Think of the coups force. Imagine if the CIA, Delta Force, and USA were all wrapped up in the same organization. That would be the coups force. So they do a lot and they're actually divided in half. So you have one division of the IRGC, that division is the coups force. The coups force is then divided in half. You got on one half of the house, you got all the dudes to do all this secret shadowy lurking around in the dark stuff. And then the other half is basically like the Red Cross. They go out handing out blood and food and like helping people after natural disasters. And they have all that lashed together in one organization. So when you call the entire Coos Force a terrorist group, kind of unfair because you kind of lumped some, some unlike things together. The Coos Force was established during the Iran-Iraq War to undertake secret operations inside Iraq. And who helped the Iranians fight the Iran-Iraq War? Ronald Reagan and the U.S. With all the arms that we gave them via the Nicaraguan Contras. So now imagine you're Saddam Hussein. A lot of people think Saddam was this, this fly-by-night guy that came out of nowhere and was this evil despot that took over the country. No, Saddam actually worked his way up, and at one point, Saddam was the Secretary of Defense of Iraq. So imagine you're fighting a war across the Iran-Iraq border, and you're doing pretty good against the Iranians, and then one day, the Iranians show up with F-16s and AWACS planes and... 
precision guided bombs and all this radar stuff and surface to air missiles and Saddam's looking across the border through binoculars like where in the hell did they get all of that what is that where are they getting F-16s and AWACS planes right so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out something is afoot so that was the Iran-Iraq war and the U.S. kind of pushed that whole thing along from the back. Um, and then we also supported the Kurds. <laughs> we supported the Kurds to try to invade Iraq from the north so that the Iranians could, could go into Iraq from the south. So we also gave the Kurds a bunch of weapons, which is the same weapons they were using in Syria against the Turks and the Syrians same weapons so you got all these different countries in this region and they're all shooting and using u.s stuff because that's where they got it. we just kind of that's how we do things that's how we roll so the u.s department of defense accused the iranian regime of using the coups force to clandestinely exert military political and economic power to advance Iranian national interests abroad. So here's why we dislike the coups force and we really dislike General Soleimani. So we went in Iraq with a game plan of how we were going to do things and how we were going to win over the hearts and minds of, of the people. Soleimani and the coups force basically went behind us and said, y'all better not trust them Americans. Here they come again. We've been here before. So they were basically educating the people, which wasn't working out that best for us. So the harder we tried, the harder they worked. And it was this never ending like struggle of narratives in the region of trying to win the hearts and mind of the Iraqis. And from me being there a couple of times in Iraq, I don't think we ever did. We tried though, tossed a lot of bags of money around. I just don't think we, we really achieved all that much. The Kuds Force is not only in Iran, but they have Kuds Force guys stationed in Iranian embassies around the world. So their tentacles stretch out pretty far and they see and they do a lot. So given the secretive nature of the Kuds Force, right, there's very little information about exactly what they do. We have an idea, but we're not sure. And then the key thing is, and this is how they're able to keep this secret, there's a chain of command for all the different divisions of the Kuz Force. They got to go like, you know, up the chain to the different levels of the commander, not General Soleimani, not the commander of the Kuz Force. The Kuz Force commander only has one boss, and that's the Supreme Leader. And the Supreme Leader had the utmost confidence in Soleimani. So now you can kind of understand this guy was in charge of a whole heck of a lot and he had the confidence of his boss, the Supreme Leader, and now we have bombed and killed their guy. So you can see why they're upset. Um, Soleimani was the single most powerful operative in the Middle East and no one had ever heard of him until 2003. So that's where we are. 
And to show you how much juice this guy has, let's go back to the war in Iraq. When General Petraeus was the commander of the forces in Iraq, and he was out there trying to wave the flag and win hearts and minds, General Soleimani somehow figures out General Petraeus' cell phone number and sends him a text message. That's pretty ballsy. Sends him a text message. And this is a quote. This is what he says. This is a quote. General Petraeus, you should know that I, Qasem Soleimani, control policy for Iran with respect to Iraq, Lebanon, Gaza, and Afghanistan. The ambassador in Baghdad is a Kuz Force member. The individual who's going to replace him is a Kuz Force member. The current Iranian ambassador to Iraq is General Araz Masjedi, who's a Kuz Force member. So he's sending this message to General Petraeus to basically tell him, dude, we run this. I run this. You and your government are wasting your time. Petraeus tries, Petraeus doesn't believe him, and Petraeus wasn't all that successful. So now here we are, we've blowed up their guy, the Iranians have vowed revenge, the Middle East is all on high tension because they're not sure, but I guarantee you if the Iranians say they're going to do something, they're going to do something. The Supreme Leader has said there will be harsh revenge, so he is determined they're going to ratchet up and escalate the normal craziness that they do. And this is going to be exceptional, spectacular craziness. Who knows? Um, they've already commenced three days of national mourning in Iran. Um, because Soleimani is a national hero. And there will be funeral processions both in Iran and Iraq. Two countries. They're going to have funeral processions for one guy. I'm sure you've seen on the news, the protesters are in the thousands. They're awfully angry. They're all dressed in black. And they don't like America right now. Death to America. Revenge, revenge, revenge. Um, CNN, Fox News, whatever network you watch, that's what's out there. And they're burning and tearing apart U.S. flags. Kind of reminds me of 2003. Pendulum has done swung back. Here we are again. Um, Khomeini's uh, the Supreme Leader has appointed Major General Ismail Kiani as his replacement. Of course, Kiani was an underling of Sulmani. So they got a pretty capable guy, and the Supreme Leader says the coup's force agenda shall remain unchanged. So they got confidence in the new guy as well. The green zone in Baghdad is currently completely on lockdown. And they got extra Iraqi security forces trying to keep down the mischief and mayhem. In Iraq, they were protesting the government because, right, they're upset at the government. They always are. And they were having demonstrations in Baghdad at Tahrir Square. But now, instead of protesting the government... The Iraqis said, we're not going to waste this perfectly good protest on the government. We're going to take this protest and shift it. And now we're going to protest the Americans. And their key demand is an end to heavy handed Iranian influence. 
but they also made clear that all Americans must go. We're back to 2003. Hmm. Um, the Iranians have called for the removal of U.S. forces from Iraq. And in Lebanon, they've also vowed revenge. So the key thing here is we have now united all these smaller factions into one big group of people that are now angry at America. The State Department is urging citizens to leave Iraq immediately. The embassies in Bahrain, Kuwait, and Pakistan have been having security issues. And they're issuing alerts to all the government employees and citizens. The force protection level at all central command installations has increased. And it currently is a plan to deploy 3,500 guys. So that's that brings us up to today. You can see pictures of the 3,500 guys loading up on C-17s going to reinforce the forces that are in Iraq right now trying to quell all this stuff. So, there's a saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So, we basically united all of our enemies into one big angry faction, which is not good. This is a huge deal in the Middle East. I'm not sure that we understand how huge a deal this is because we're, we're so far removed from the real estate. And then the fact that this was done in Iraq, we got the Iraqis looking crazy, right? This is just like when Tupac got shot at the music studio and Biggie was upstairs. How Biggie not know about that? Where was Puffy at when Tupac got shot? So now you got the Iranians looking across the border at the Iraqis like, wait a minute, a bomb at the airport? like? You sure you guys didn't know about this? So there's some tension, some undertones there between the Iranians and the Iraqis. But for the time being, they're going to lash together and mutually hate the Americans. And the Iraqis' fear is they don't want Iran fighting America in Iraq. They don't want to be the battleground for this showdown. The Iraqis is like, man, we've already had 20 years of this nonsense. Go fight this war someplace else. Like, just not here. So, what does Keith Major think? Here's what, what, what I'm not quite understanding about this. I'm still not sure who on our side knew about this. Because, you know, Trump is Trump. And Trump tends to do Trump things. And he doesn't, like, really listen to the staff. So, I would not be surprised if Trump just woke up one day and decided, I want to bomb this guy who knows but a consistent theme of Donald Trump's presidency right has been this endless drubbing of how 9-11 and the war in Iraq was a waste of time and we wasted all this money and we didn't accomplish anything and our allies didn't contribute enough and it's America first and we're not going to be the world suckers anymore Build that wall. Yeah. Ban all the muscles. Yeah. So he's stirring up all this stuff, right? And Trump truly believes that he was elected, at least in part, to draw down the forces 
and take Americans out of harm's way. Um, and he's done that. He did it in Afghanistan. And whether you agree or disagree with Syria, he pulled out of Syria. So if that was the trajectory that Trump was on, what is with this airstrike on Thursday? Because that totally flipped what Trump was trying to do. And now we have gotten sucked in to a regional thing that is probably going to cause us to be there for a while. So he single-handedly in one airstrike undid everything that he said he was going to do. So we're literally back to square zero. That part I don't understand. Like what his I don't understand his long game. Because this again is a serious escalation of where we were in terms of US Iranian relations. And the other thing that this did is Trump's never going to get a nuclear deal out of Iranians when you just blew up their guy. We're never going to get a trade deal. The Iranians are not even going to sit down at a table with Donald Trump or anyone from the U.S. We just blew up their guy. Why would they? So to me, U.S.-Iranian relations are on hold probably until we get a new president whenever that is so if trump gets reelected, no problem to the iranians they will wait him out so there will be no nuclear deal i don't know what the other p5 plus one members are going to do but there will be no nuclear deal between the u.s and iranians and the iranians are probably going to take their nuclear program in hyperdrive and not really care what anybody thinks so Donald Trump may not be interested in the wars of the Middle East, but after Thursday, the wars in the Middle East are not interested in him. So let's see how this plays up. Because if this was some type of calculated gamble, this is just a lot of stake. That pretty dangerous gamble there, Donald J. Trump. And you're playing this game with other people's lives, right? These 3,500 soldiers... Headed to the Middle East, that's people's husbands, sons, uncles, brothers, right? It just, if I were the president, I would be a little more cautious about the decisions that I make because I'm costing and risking other people's children's lives, and that would weigh heavy on me. But I guess that's why I'm not the president. So in killing General Soleimani, Trump has basically committed the United States to a risky, open conflict that at best, I'm saying at best, could stop short of all-out war. But it's going to send like foreign policy and economic shock, and there's going to be a series of tit-for-tat back and forth, like, I don't know, bombings and terrorist activity and all this craziness. So the tensions are going to be higher than they've ever been and they're going to remain high for a while so two days into his re-election year this is what he does i don't understand his long game the guy who's complained about the middle east waits until his re-election year to plunge us into the middle of this mess with the iranians of all people he was already challenged as a president. 
right? Between all the investigations, the subpoenas, the crazy behavior in office, whatever's going to happen, it seems like he's got enough on his plate already. What was the point of adding this on top of all of that? And how was he going to manage that in 11 months and it show up in November to try to win an election? I'm, I'm just not understanding how this works. So any hope that the U.S. and the Iranians can bury the hatchet and settle these differences that go all the way back to us overthrowing their their prime minister? I don't I don't see it. So we just kind of swung the pendulum back and this is the way it's going to be. The question now is, is President Trump really the guy? This is going to test his mettle. Is he really the guy to handle this perilous and enduring of a crisis? We're, we're about to see. This next 11 months is really going to show us what Donald J. Trump is capable of. He's going to have to put his money where his mouth is on this one because he's really stepped in the pool with this. Um, so, okay, you can say the killing General Soleimani was a great tactical move, but it didn't take it but two days to get another guy as the leader of the coups for us. So what really did that do? I mean, unless we're just going to keep killing guys, what progress have we really made? Um, for the American people, there's a perception, and I think this is driven by fake news, that the Iranians in general are terrorists, which is not really so. They sponsor terrorism, but by and large, they're not terrorists. They're actually a very capable nation with a legitimate military force. So I think, I think, this is my opinion, I think whatever revenge they exact against the U.S., it's going to do two things. One is going to be something so sophisticated and so complex that it's going to illustrate, no, the Iranians are the varsity squad. Like, this isn't a bunch of sheep and goat herders running around in sandals in the desert. Like, this here was, like, pretty sophisticated. And then the next thing is going to show that they had purpose. Like, this just wasn't a target of opportunity. It's going to be something that says, this was planned and executed and we're sophisticated and we can get who we want to get when we want to get them. This is what I think. We'll see in the coming weeks or months, but that is what I think. And then remember, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, all that, that started in the Middle East. They're the masters of that kind of stuff, so they're going to do something, I think. Um, just a matter of when and where. Hopefully the intelligence community that Trump now loves will be able to get out in front of it and at least try to mitigate or maybe even prevent whatever that revenge will be. But I'll tell you what, if I were a U.S. diplomat, I would not be in any hurry to travel overseas. Um, I would not be just traipsing around the world willy-nilly because, man, you would be putting yourself in harm's way. But let's talk money. If you notice, there was a significant bump in defense stocks. 
So, in addition to making memes and posting them on Twitter, you might want to take a look at the stock market, and I would look at all of the major defense stocks, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, um, Boeing, uh, and I would also look at logistics stocks because amateurs talk tactics, professional talk logistics. You got to have a log train in order to get these 3,500 guys and give them sustainment. And so shipping companies, transportation, fuel, um, just Google it. But this is an opportunity for little guys to make some money because the big guys most certainly are war is profitable. There are guys lining up right now, counting their cash. So you little guys, let's count us some cash too. So I know we just spent all our money buying Christmas presents, but sock away what you can. Email me, hit me via directly the show. I'll give you some, some stocks you can look at. There's different financial groups I know on Facebook. I'm in a couple of them. But just start reading. Read about cow, the cost of war. And read about and understand how war and hostility and tension makes money for some people. Keith Major says we need to be those some people too. So instead of us giving people our thoughts and prayers, let's go make some money. So as you go forth, hopefully you've learned something about how we got to where we are with today with the Iranians. And when you hear people talking all this foolishness that they've heard on Fox News and then you have people that educate themselves via memes that is hogwash. Hopefully you have learned something and you can have an intelligent conversation and beat those people down. So thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Keith Major and you're listening to the Keith Major Show. I will see you next time. Keep your eyes open. Check the stock market. Stay current on your current events. This is a big deal in the Middle East. I'll see you next time. Keith Major Show. The Keith Major Show. All the people know. Straight from Hawaii. For all you need for sure. From news and local events. Music and much more. With the Keith Major Show. We give you so much more. Keith Major Show. Keith Major Show. Keith Major Show Keith Major Show